Welcome to a Thursday edition of Browns Film Breakdown, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you guys of the awesome offers over at MyPillow. So go to MyPillow.com right now, click on the four-pack special, enter my promo code COZY, C-O-Z-Y, and you'll get two premium MyPillows and two Go Anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a great night of sleep will do for you, and the pillow makes all the difference. If you go to MyPillow.com right now, click on their four-pack special, Shipping is absolutely free, that's right, no shipping cost at all to you guys, and don't forget about their 60-day money-back guarantee. There's nothing better than the gift of restorative sleep, guys, so go to MyPillow.com, again, click on that four-pack special, use my promo code COZY, C-O-Z-Y, to get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. So, again, my promo code C-O-Z-Y at MyPillow.com, you can go to the site or call 800-966-1472, and remember, that promo code COZY can be used for any offer on MyPillow.com. And we're off. Welcome to Brown's Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, writer for Cleveland.com, coming at you guys here on this Thursday, Senior Bowl week. Things are in full swing down in Mobile, Alabama. Plenty of great prospects down there that the Browns brass is down uh, watching. I know that Freddie Kitchens, John Dorsey, uh, Evan Barry, all of the important names are down there involved with the Browns' decision-making, have made an appearance. And per the usual of a John Dorsey-led franchise, I expect the Browns to be interested in some sort of breakout star from the Senior Bowl as Dorsey has usually selected a player or two who have made a name for themselves down in Mobile. So that's something to keep an eye on. As far as player evaluation goes, don't have any great insight right now. Most of the evaluators have only seen one practice as everything was moved inside yesterday due to inclement weather. Unfortunate situation. Most of the evaluators will be able to watch practice film, but that couldn't happen until tonight. So I don't have a great feel for anybody who broke out on the second day of practice. But we will have a better feel for... Uh, that is the week wears on. We'll have a better feel for it after the game. We'll come back to you guys next week with somebody who was there live and can give us some some more insight on who the Browns might have been paying close attention to. But today's guest who I want to bring on, I think will give a good league-wide perspective, touch on free agency, uh, has a real feel for free agency and who the Browns might be interested in specifically, and then can also give us that sort of league-wide perspective that I think is pretty important with where the Browns are, where they're going to be uh, heading into 2019, and can give us a, a feel for his study of the franchise over the past few years, which I think is important. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get over to today's guest. All right, guys, welcome back. I am joined by Evan Silva, a name you're all familiar with, following the NFL. He follows the Browns, has done some great work on the Browns as well. At Evan Silva is his Twitter handle. If you're not already following, I would imagine you are. Evan, how you doing tonight, man? Jake, I'm doing really well, man. Um, you know, I've been ex- I'm excited to talk to you about some Browns, about some uh, just NFL matters across the league, uh, about, you know, the trajectory of the Browns about how can they continue to build on this foundation that they have built and, you know, how can we make this a championship team again? The, obviously the, you know, the, the arrow has been pointing up. Yeah, it has been for the first time in a significant amount of time. There's a a reasonable amount of high expectations tied to this team. And um, one of the reasons Evan, We've had this conversation off the air, but I wanted to I wanted to dive in is is 
I think dating back to when I first started to really get into Twitter on the Brown side of things, I, I, I never really dove into NFL Twitter, but uh, when I started to pay attention more was, uh, you, you know, I obviously respected your voice, was what you thought of Sashi Brown, very high on Sashi Brown. And I, I just kind of want to put that in your, in your lap. Where do you, do you think that Sashi Brown's, let's phrase it this way, do you think that Sashi Brown's plan has come to uh, sort of fruition in terms of where it's all s- spread out to now. It's it's easier to track now than it was eight months ago. So do you think it's proven to be fruitful? I think the answer is clearly yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and not all of the credit for that goes to Sashi Brown, but I, I, do, I do believe that his intention was to build up the offensive and defensive lines and target the 2018 NFL draft in which five quarterbacks were selected in the first round, the most since or tied for the most since 1983. Mm -hmm. Um, And was he fortunate that, you know, no one's fortunate that someone gets injured, but, you know, was there good fortune in that the Texans draft pick wound up being higher you know, uh, because of Deshaun Watson's injury, yes. Uh, you know, they were able to get the, the number one and the number four overall pick in this historically great, according to the NFL, quarterback draft. And John Dorsey was able to put, you know, he, he benefit. Look, John Dorsey is never the Browns GM without the assets that Sashi Brown left behind. There would be no reason to go be the Browns GM unless there was something there, you know, that, you know, there was a seed that could maybe sprout and become, you know, become a flower. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what Sashi Brown left behind. He, he wasn't perfect. Okay. He should have re-signed Mitchell Schwartz. You know, he probably should have never let go of Demario Davis. Um, You know, he could have drafted a little bit better. I think that his drafts were actually underrated. Um, but but I do but you know he he could have he could have done those better you know but um, what he left behind I think really positioned the Browns to uh, become a a suddenly successful organization and I think the arrow is pointing up what were your like what how have you felt Jake because you know you're as far as I'm concerned there isn't a better Browns analyst in like on the planet than you are. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm dead serious about that. What are your thoughts on, on, you know, t- the 2016 through 2019 Browns? I think you make a fantastic point when you talk about where John Dorsey comes into this picture without the table being set to the level that the table was set. There's no doubt. John Dorsey doesn't tie his last chance at a GM to, to Cleveland. Um, and whether John Dorsey is better at this whole thing that that Sashi set up, I don't I don't know that you can definitively say that uh, because if you look at you know John Dorsey obviously made a fantastic pick with Baker Mayfield, but what what about what Sashi does? The analytics driven approach tells you they don't go that direction. You know what what about? Uh, Denzel Ward says they don't go in that. I just don't think John Dorsey did anything that was so out of the realm of, 
uh, analytically driven that, that Paul DePodesta had obviously uh, established here and Sashi was a big part of that they go away from that. Now, did John Dorsey do a really good job with free agency, uh, trading Deshaun Kaiser for Demarius Randall? There's a bunch of little moves he did well too. Like yeah. Those two are like hand in hand in this whole thing. Whether people want to admit it or not because they so sternly tie one in 31 to Sashi Brown, you just you just can't ignore it. Like he he did too much to set the table. And I get it that when you say, I think here's where I've come to think. You you evolve. Like you evolve as a thinker through this whole thing because it is one of the more profound studies that I have come across in the NFL because the Browns took this bottom out thing to a whole new level. Over a two year turnaround, I think they had eight players on the roster. Uh, from 2016 to 20, uh, or sorry, 2015 to 2017 when I studied. Like, they just took it to a whole nother level. So it's a very interesting uh, uh, case study in terms of what people are able to endure. And where I've come to the conclusion is the talent level wasn't good. Like, it was good and it was it was good enough to win some games, but a, a, a good portion of the Sashi hatred lies on the shoulders of what we have come to realize is Hugh Jackson. If they had been able to mm-hmm. hire somebody who was in lockstep with their approach, who could get the most out of their mm-hmm. players, who could who could handle the media in terms of uh, getting his players to believe that he had their back, all that. There's so many examples, and we've gone through this as, as both you and I separate. We've gone through it. Hugh Jackson was terrible. I will not be told any other thing other than he just was not going to ever be a good head coach in the, in the Cleveland Browns franchise, and I don't think he should be a head coach again anywhere else. So if the Browns go eight, eight, you know, find a way to win eight games over two years or seven wins. That's tangible progress. And we probably see Sashi still here. So, you know, there's a ton of revisionist history that can go on with this stuff. And you can really manipulate the facts to fit whatever, I hate the word narrative, but you can fit to fit whatever narrative you want. But there, there's an, there's an indefinite fact here that is undeniable. And that is that Sashi Brown's role in this Browns turnaround to seven wins and what is potentially now a playoff and Super Bowl expectation over the next three years. His role is as important as equivalent to John Dorsey. And I think that people hopefully over the long run will remember that. And that doesn't mean you have to diminish what John Dorsey did. I think John Dorsey's done Mm -hmm. great things, but I think you have to understand that the table gets set by somebody and without the table being set and the way it was set, you don't get where you get. And, and, you know, for the Browns sake, luckily they've been able to find a way to back into Freddie kitchens and this miracle run they had in the second half. Mm-hmm. And, and this now coaching st- it's all the perfect storm, which doesn't happen that way for Cleveland very often in terms of when things sort of go sideways, they work out and, Oh, look, we fell into this guy who could be a really good head coach. It was in the building as a running back. Like that stuff doesn't happen. So um, mm-hmm. I will remember Sashi fondly. Put it this way. I will remember him fondly. Were there things like mm-hmm. you said, Evan, he could have done better? Sure. Corey Coleman didn't work out amongst many other things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that there's a really big part in this whole picture that if we look back on it in 10 years, he played a big role in a good way. And I don't think he should bear the brunt for what was a lot of Hugh Jackson's uh, you know, struggles as a coach. He can never, you know, it manifested itself into – uh, evolving into both Hugh and Sashi, and I didn't think it ever needed to be that way. So, um, yeah, man, I'm just of the thought that he he did well enough to keep his job. They didn't do a good enough job of hiring the right head coach. Yeah, I'm with you, and I, I'm just very thankful that as we sit here today, you know, on January 23rd, um, you know, at this time last year, I was talking with, like, Doug Lemire, who, mm-hmm. who I love from uh, Cleveland.com, 
and you know, and I, I talked to uh, Pete Smith, you mm-hmm. know, and I talked to uh, my buddy Matt Kelly uh, in the fantasy football world, and we mm-hmm. did, you know, all these different uh, fan- all these different podcasts about the Browns, and it was, you know, largely with a negative tone. And now we can sit here today, and we can talk about the Browns in a positive manner. And I'm so happy for that. And I, I do think that John Dorsey has, has done a largely good job. I can, you know, pick apart, you know, Austin Corbett and Chad Thomas, et cetera. Sure. But, um, you know, I think that it, it may work out the best way that Sashi was a table setter and John Dorsey was the guy who, you know, hit the home runs off, off the off the T-ball set. Yeah, no, I mean, I think those two, like you said, they they're good. They should be remembered on an equal field. I don't think they end up being remembered that way. I think John Dorsey will always be the guy who rode in to town and quote-unquote saved everything, but I don't think it should be viewed that way. I think you have to view it as, uh, you know, who who was the head coach that, that Sashi had to work with, and he worked with somebody who was manipulating and conniving and and uh, has proven to be a failure in just about every aspect of that job. While on the other hand, you get John Dorsey gets, you know, the second half that he gets out of Freddie Kitchens, and those two are tied together for the rest of the the tenure that John will likely have here. So I'm with you, though. The positive tone is great, and that sort of segues into what I want to, you know, get your opinion on next is just two twofold question here. What do you think of Freddie as the head coach? Do you think it's the mm-hmm. right hire uh, is the first part of that question. And then, um, you know, second's just sort of the roster as a whole. Where do you see it as? Is it a good enough roster to make the playoffs as is? Sort of uh, just general synopsis there. Yeah, I think maybe the one alternative that I would have seriously looked at was hiring Bruce Arians mm-hmm. uh, in a, a CEO-style head coach role and keeping Freddie Kitchens as the offensive coordinator. And that made some sense theoretically because uh, Bruce Arians was Freddie Kitchens' offensive coordinator at Alabama in 1997. And then um, Freddie Kitchens was an assistant on Bruce Arians' staff the entire time that uh, Bruce Arians was the Arizona Cardinals head coach. But you know, the Browns never seemed interest seemed interested in Arians, and I think that's fine because he wouldn't necessarily have been a long-term solution. You know, he's, he's getting older. He's had some health issues. So I think that promoting Freddie Kitchens was the next best option because you couldn't afford to lose him. After he formed such a tight bond with Baker Mayfield – they turned the offense around. They fixed the protection problems, uh, and that was absolutely critical. And that was with still playing with um, Greg Robinson at left tackle, and their and their protection problems evaporated. Even with uh, having one of the worst left tackles in the league, they ranked third in the NFL in yards per drive from weeks nine through seventeen. Uh, and over, so just to uh, compare and contrast, over. Hugh Jackson's final 32 games as the Browns head coach, the equivalent of two full seasons, the Browns scored over 23 points five times. They scored over 23 points five times in Freddie Kitchen's final seven games alone. So, you know, this all of a sudden became a really good offense. You put all that together, and I think that there was no circumstance under which they could let Freddie Kitchens go. Um as for the Browns roster, you know, as a whole, um, 
look, whenever you have one of the best young quarterbacks in the league on a rookie contract, your situation is looking up. And I think the, the Browns clearly have that. You also have maybe the best interior offensive line in the league. All those guys are under contract through at least 2019. J.C. Treader, uh, Joel Batonio, Kevin Zeitler. And I think you have strong foundations at most other position groups, mm-hmm. but most of them still need to add a piece or two. And look, that's why it helps to have nine draft picks this year in the first six rounds uh, and uh, more than enough cap space to go need hunting in free agency. But yeah, I mean, w- with the assets that the previous uh, regime left behind, I think everything was set up beautifully for a quick turnaround. And we are seeing that uh, take shape. Yeah, those are fantastic points about about Freddie and keeping him in house, I think that was obviously imperative. They did a thorough search. They did a they did a nice job from both Freddie's perspective and the rest of the NFL in terms of getting people in. And and uh, I like that they broke the the guard. You know, the traditional thing would have been to hire Mike McCarthy or hire Bruce Arians. And and uh, it was nice to see the Browns go left instead of right. I think that that's caught some unnecessary flack in the opposite direction. But I thought that hiring Freddie was actually a a bigger a bigger uh, deviation from the norm than than a lot of people want to admit but in a good way it seems like the nfl is mm-hmm. chasing this mold of coach and the browns finally decided to chase this mold of coach even if he might not be the young um you know 30 34 35 year old good looking fellow like you know shanahan's and mcveigh's I, I still think you you either can coach or you can't coach and and freddie has obviously done a nice job of connecting them so the the roster question and sort of segues into where i I, very, I really value your opinion on this. Free agency is going to be vital for the Browns. They have uh, in the ballpark of $80 million to, to toy with. And you made a great job of pointing out Mayfield is on this rookie contract, and when you get this opportunity with a guy who's clearly proven to be even ahead of what his best supporters thought he could be, he's proven to be a top-10 quarterback just last year, uh, according to you know data metrics I trust, pro football focus, and just overall performance value – He's there. He's 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 good enough to win games and get to the playoffs and win playoff games with. Where in free agency do you think that they should attack? I kind of tasked you with that question. I'm fascinated in free agency. Let me ask you this as we segue mm-hmm. into it. Do, do big names. Do you think do you think a lot of the big names people are expecting? Grady Jarrett, Jadavian Clowney, um, uh, Demarcus Lawrence. Some of those big names. In, any of those you think hit free agency? Any of those you think the Browns have an actual shot to sign? Jarrett Clowney and uh, Demarcus Lawrence. I don't think any of those guys hit free agency, you know. And, and we will start to find out about that in about two months, I guess. Yeah, yeah. that that'll be uh, about like uh, right about the time that free agency really start, or uh, about a month and a half, uh, right when uh, free agency starts to really pick up. But um, you know, when I look at the Browns, and I just published. Uh, uh, like a, a full list of NFL free agents on rotoworld.com. You can check that out on my Twitter at Evan Silva. Uh, and if you just, it, it's just a straight list, you know, it's very simple. It's not, you know, there's no words, you know, describing the players. It's just, look, if you, if you have an idea about football, you know, you're going to recognize a lot of these names at the top of each list at, at left tackle, I think is the number one need for the Browns. How, by the way, how sweet would it have been if Joe Thomas would have, would have kept kicking it for a couple more years? I mean, this this could have been an incredible uh, offensive line nucleus. But 
Um, look, first of all, I think it's a positive that we've seen Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield be able to hide a bad left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, that bad left tackle is now a free agent. You don't have to bring him back, uh, and you can start to look at potential upgrades. Because the, the Browns hired Todd Monken, uh, the fit is going to be kind of you know intuitive that uh, the Browns might look at Donovan Smith, uh, who played left tackle for the Buccaneers, not a great player, um, you know, and, and might, you know, a candidate to, to, you know, very much a candidate to be overpaid, a uh, high risk signing. I think he's going to get a really big contract wherever he lands. Another guy, Trent Brown uh, from the Patriots, of course, you know, playing on a team that's playing in the Super Bowl and, you know, this is first year playing left tackle. I think he's and he's battled weight problems in the past. I mean, there's a reason that these guys hit free agency, you know, because good, good team or, you know, good players typically get re-signed before they hit free agency. So, you know, dealing with like last year, the, the big uh, left tackle signing was Nate Solder mm-hmm. and he's an average player and right now he's the number two highest paid tackle in the entire league. So it's, it's very much a risky way to, to, to build your roster. Um, and, but, but that's where I would start at the left tackle position. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fascinated in Greg Robinson's rebound. And if they, they've, they've, they've mentioned bringing him back, and, uh, mm-hmm. and and re-signing him, whether that means he fights it out at right tackle with Chris Hubbard or, you know, I don't know. I do know that they got by with it. Did, 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 like smart guys like yourself or plenty of people I have banter with today on, on what I think the Browns should do in the second you know part of this building process is, yeah, they could probably improve at left tackle, but where are you getting that that meets value is going to be very fascinating um, for the Browns, and I think some of it that you just you have to trust development curves. Like, you know, Robinson spent some time with Charles Bentley before this year, and it obviously paid dividends for him. He found comfort at left tackle. They found comfort in using him and helping him in certain ways. And they, I think that they hired somebody who's going to be a much more effective overall offensive line coach and and James Camp. And so, um, yeah, that how that plays out will be fascinating. I think there's some guys in the draft mm-hmm. that are really interesting at the tackle position uh, around 17 you know, will obviously be, will be interesting as well. So uh, linebacker help, did, 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 do you think the Browns go free agency or do you think they try to draft linebacker help? Cause that's a big spot that they need. It is, it is. Um, as you've mentioned, um, you know, I, the, the linebacker position in free agency is not particularly strong um, unless you're looking at edge rushers. Now the one exception might be, and bear with me now, Clay Matthews, whose dad, of course, spent, I believe, his entire career as a Cleveland Brown. Uh, he is a free agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 32 years old. He's played inside linebacker. He's been an edge rusher. Uh, he could be like a really good locker room presence in Cleveland. Uh, and I think he would be an interesting addition at the right, at the right price. You look at the free agent market as a whole and it's really lopsided toward defensive front seven players yeah. uh, and particularly players up front particularly pass rushers um preston smith of, of uh, the washington redskins or form uh, soon to be formerly of the washington redskins 24 years old a player still coming into his own 
uh, again, really young for a free agent. And he reminds me a lot of Jabal Sheard, uh, who a lot of Browns fans will remember, mm-hmm. uh, plays on the on the left side a lot, will, can, can move on both sides of the formation, can play with his hand in the dirt and with his hand up. And I think that he is just – he has not hit his peak yet, and that might be the kind of guy to target. Um, uh, John Dorsey drafted D Ford in Kansas City, and his contract is up. Now he might get the franchise tag. Um the Lions seem done with Ezekiel Ansah, and he has been a guy who's battled a lot of injuries, but he's been very productive when he has played, might be able to get him at, at a discount. Darius Phylon of the Chargers had a really big year, and um, he's another guy who's really young, entering free agency, I think 24 or 25. Uh, smaller guy, 6'1", 298, uh, but he would be interesting to play next to uh, Larry Ogunjobi, uh, if you want like penetration to mm-hmm. be your your primary goal uh, uh, on the interior defensive line, highly athletic. Um, uh, you know, you, you didn't get a whole lot of, lot out of uh, Emmanuel Ogba this year. You did not get a whole lot out of Chris Smith. I think that Jannard Avery um, flashed. Uh, you know, and you got nothing out of Chad Thomas. And I think that Trevon Coley is a guy that you want to upgrade over and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably, um, you know, find a different guy to, to play in that position and maybe move him into a fourth defensive tackle role. Uh, but I, that's that's the strength of free agency is uh, in the defensive front seven. And that's a good thing because the Browns are going to have to attack it there, and I think they're going to have to attack it in the draft. I personally think they need at least two defensive tackles. I personally think they need at least, I don't know, I mean, it depends on what they think of Zettel and what they think of Smith. If mm-hmm. they think – if they think Chad Thomas has a pulse, I, I you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I but I, I, they've got to improve at least in the middle. I do think they need somebody serious opposite, opposite Miles Garrett, uh, Ansa Clay Matthews. So, I mean, somebody that can bring pressure from either a two point or a three point. Jannard can do some of that, but they need somebody serious. Emmanuel Ogba's been a, he's been fine, but he's got to be better. He's got to get to mm-hmm. another level, and I don't know if he has that other level mm-hmm. i've started to have questions about that but um did, did you did you watch much of uh chad thomas coming out of miami yeah he he the thing about what his production was his production was a lot of time on stunts he didn't beat people he was okay against the run um the body at miami looked different than the body that arrived in cleveland too i think that he got really passive in his approach leading up to his time being drafted. And I just saw somebody who looked, this is weird, but I just thought he looked better in his uniform, like a, like a, like more toned up and Cleveland didn't get that version of him. Now the question about his love and passion for music that has sort of trumped his love for football, is that manifesting itself now? I, I don't know. I, I do know that he's never going to be an elite pass rusher, somebody that you can count on mm-hmm. opposite of miles. So what his role is, do you put, you put some beef on him and try and, bump him inside i i wish i had that answer because i want him to mean something that means they didn't waste a draft pick on him but uh you know i i don't have a positive outlook on that that's why i'm fascinated with your opinion on free agency and i I think that the draft will provide plenty of options there as well should they choose to go down that route early on but um we'll get out here with this evan you're a busy guy um 2019 what are your expectations like for me, here, let me let me tell you where I'm at. They got to make the playoffs. That's the borderline expectation. From there, it's gravy. But I'm interested in what you think. Do you think they're a playoff team? 
man. Um, I certainly think that they're trending in that direction. Um, you know, but I, I think that they need to plug these holes that, that we discussed, you know, and, uh, like for me, like Chad Thomas, you know, I watched him, uh, play, you know, and they, they need to kind of, kind of optimize their decision-making a, a little bit more. Um, you know, like specifically with decisions like Chad Thomas, because Chad Thomas did not check, check the box for production. He did not check the box for measurable athleticism. You know, you watch his games. I understand, like I, I watched him against uh, Notre Dame and he had a really good game. I think it was, I think it was a bowl game. Uh, and I mean, he, I, I thought he looked good, but you know, there was a big sample size there that, you know, suggested that he's just not that productive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now, you know, looking at it, like it's, it's not surprising. Like I don't, and I still, I don't understand like, why did they cut Carl Nassif? You know, <laughs> we, we've been asking that all year. We don't have a good answer. Yeah. For why did they give up Jason McCourty for free? You know, why, you know, and, and pouring so much money into Terrence Mitchell and TJ Carey, you know, who are, I mean, they're okay. You know, I, I know that, I, I've seemed to sense that there's a a big uh, uh, like support system in Cleveland for Terrence Mitchell. Like they think this guy is awesome, but this guy was terrible in Kansas City. And I mean, he had some decent moments this past year. He was also injured. Yeah. Um, you know what? What are they going to do with Brian uh, uh, Body Calhoun? He's a restricted free agent. Um, you know, I I think look, I think they're obviously on an upward trajectory and I hope the best for them. Uh, but I, I you know, I, I still think that the, the jury is out. I think that you need to optimize some of your decision-making guys like Chad Thomas. What happened last year with uh, the Austin Corbett um, experiment and Joel Batonio at left tackle? Why could that not stick? To be honest, um, I, I, I was confused by it. They, they made this decision they they played Corbett every single snap of yeah. preseason at left guard, yeah. like every single snap, and um, I thought he was okay. Like I didn't think he was he wasn't a problem. And I think if you can avoid being a problem as a rookie um, at a new position because he didn't play much interior at Nevada, that's okay. You can sort of morph into this productive player on the inside. I think that they got the idea that. Although I thought Joel did fine at left tackle, they think that they need the foundational pieces in front of Mayfield in the interior that short quarterbacks need. So I think that they made the decision of trusting the old Drew Brees theory of you need strong guard center guard play with a shorter quarterback, and we're going to keep that elite and we'll figure out left tackle. Now, the decision to just whimsically throw out Desmond Harrison was, um, boy, God, I, I mean, you lose your job that way. <laughs> ironically enough so i you know i i don't yeah. i don't have a great answer for that um and, and i think uh, that, and, great yeah, yeah great one, go ahead one other question i wanted to ask you about is wide receiver because i think that you know i like the progression of in Callaway. um jarvis landry i think was kind of up and down mm-hmm. you know but i mean he's you know he's, he's locked into a, a big role but you know can you count on these guys like Richard Higgins is a restricted free agent. Antonio Callaway, we know his history. We know his talent. You know, I think he's Antonio Holmes if, if everything goes right for him the rest of the way. But, you know, do you need to add another receiver? 
there are a couple of free agents available at wide receiver that I think could be interesting. Tyrell Williams, mm-hmm. I think, could be interesting. Um, and also uh, Devin Funches, who has history with Steve Wilkes uh, from Carolina. Yeah. And yeah. also um, uh, Philip Dorsett, who's about to be a free agent. And he, he made a lot of plays for the, the Patriots, albeit off the bench this year. Yeah, no, I think this is the this is where I've been sitting um, for, for for a good I don't know a good few weeks here since the season's been over. Feels like forever since it's been over, but it's only been a few weeks. The where where I feel with the Browns is this is the first time in a long time that if they brought back all eleven players, kept the status quo on offense, they would be uh, good enough. They'd be fine. I think they would be fine. Uh, Brashad Perriman's strides in the second half of the year with Mayfield. Antonio Callaway took some major strides second half of the year when Kitchens arrived. And then um, what I think happened to Jarvis is he was being fed a lot of targets under the Haley Hughes system, and it's shifted itself uh, to a, a more even distribution. What I like about what Freddie was able to get with Baker, get him to understand, is the ne- the necessary matter of of spreading the football out and never forcing it to anybody. And they did a nice job with... Um, you know, getting, I think they got more targets to David Njoku. They got Darren Fells involved. What I know about this, this current structure, if nothing changes now, things could change a little bit under Monken, but if, if the structure stays the same, you just need good players across the board at wide receiver. I don't think you need a, a Mike Evans or a Odell Beckham. I don't think you need those guys. Do you, do you want them? Are they nice to have? Yes, obviously you hope somebody that you get morphs into that, but the way they play, and if you can just be solid with Rashard Higgins coming into his own, um, I just think that they'll be good. They can be fine. They can, they can, they can do well enough um, to to succeed and put up points in the NFL. Now, could they improve and grab another tight end? Because that's fun. You know, tight end in the draft could be fun. Could they improve with the Tyrell Williams? It depends on if they view Brashad Perriman as a cheaper version of Tyrell Williams, if Brashad's going to be as good as he was the second half of the year. I think my hunch is they will invest somewhere in a wide receiver. The draft seems to be full of wide receivers that you can get at least up until round four or five with some pretty good value. So does that mean they go in the second round and get somebody like Akeem Butler or uh, Kelvin Harmon, somebody like that? mold i don't see them doing it in the first round but they could they could really improve that exposition um you know get that post up type receiver somebody a little bit bigger that's something they could do or they could add somebody in the slot like an andy isabella or um you know there 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 are plenty of options for that smaller hollywood brown they could do that route second third fourth round two uh paris campbell is another name that gets tossed around often uh, but yeah, I, the wide receiver position's fine. I think it's it's good enough, but they could get better. There are names out there to get better uh, as well. And I just think that it's not the 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 good thing is is it's not necessary to have somebody like Josh Gordon where you're like, man, if we don't have him, we're we're sort of screwed. I just don't think it has to be that way anymore. And that's a really nice thing to have with a young quarterback is that they're good enough now schematically with the pairing of Monken and, and Kitchens, and they're good enough. Uh, at the quarterback position that they can make it work with whoever I think they put at the wide receiver position of who they have right now and whoever they might bring in. Couldn't agree more, man. Um, You know, that's how it was for uh, Drew Brees early in his career. You know, he, he uh, wound up elevating Marcus Colston, but that was a seventh round pick out of Hofstra. A lot of people thought that, you know, Marcus Colston was going to play tight end coming out of college, you know, and uh, he wound up elevating the the production. And eventually Jimmy Graham came along and, you know, all that. 
but I mean, he was never gifted, you know, he was gifted with like DeVere Henderson and Dante Stallworth and he made all that work. And I think that Baker Mayfield putting him into a, a similar position where, as you say, he doesn't need to lock on to one particular receiver. He didn't really even do that in college. No. You know, may, that, that may be his style of play. I think that's a great style of play. I, I uh, listened to an interview with Mike Leach uh, the other day talking about, you know, what is balance on offense? It's not 50% run. It's not 50% pass. It's getting every dude, every skill position player involved. And, you know, that to, to Mike Leach is the definition of offensive balance. Uh, and I think that the, the Browns have, you know, the, the pieces in place to strive for that. That's what they were over the, the back half of last season. Jake, thanks so much, man, for, for having me uh, on your show. I really appreciate it, and, and go Browns. Hey, man, my pleasure, guys. Follow Evan at Elvin Silva. Uh, follow me uh, on the YouTube channel, guys. If you can follow the YouTube channel, subscribe there. Obviously, iTunes, give us some love. Follow, subscription, all the above. We appreciate your support. Keep having great guests like Evan on as often as we can, guys. We will uh, We'll catch you next week. Until then, go Browns.